Sometimes in winter I gaze into the streets And walk through snow and city sleep Behind your door Sometimes in winter Forgotten memories Remember you behind the trees With leaves that cry By the window once I waited for you Laughing slightly you would run Trees alone would shield us in the meadow Making love in the evening sun Now you're gone, girl And the lampposts call your name I can hear them In a spring of frozen rain Now you're gone, girl And the time slow down till dawn It's a cold room And the walls ask where you've gone Howdy folks, this is Scott Parker and you're listening to episode 104 of Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast for February of 2023. And in this episode, we have part two of our really amazing two-part discussion with none other than Steve Katz, uh, formerly of Blood, Sweat and Tears and also of the Blues Project and just so many sort of musical collaborations over the years. Steve is a producer. He is a songwriter, he's an incredible guitar player. You know him, you love him. It's Steve Katz, ladies and gentlemen, so it's going to be a good time. 
In the meantime, I also want to direct your attention to the fact that there is going to be a celebration of Woodstock this year, happening as it always does at Yasgar Road and at the Yasgar Farm. Tickets and more information are available at www.yasgarroadreunion.com. We've got lots of bands. We got lots of good vibes. It's the 54th anniversary. It's going to be a good time. And if you order right now, there is still an early bird discount that we're going to have available for tickets for the next week or two. So go to that website and check it out. It's also on Facebook at Yaska Road Productions. We hope to see you all there. But in the meantime, here is part two of our two-part interview with Steve Katz talking his new album with the Blues Project, Evolution, and so much more right here on Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast. You know, I don't want this to be the me show, so somebody else jump in here before, so I can shut up for a minute. (laughs) Tell us about the Blues Blues Project, excuse me, playing at the Monterey Pop Festival in 67. That was... That was wonderful. I mean, I, I, I told you guys before I didn't like Woodstock, but Monterey was fabulous. It was just a, uh, that's when the first, the first festival where everybody got together, you know, all of the, the counterculture music musicians. Yep. Um, and it was just very beautiful. There wasn't that many people there. Everybody was like in a great mood. I'll put it that way. And uh and it, it was just phenomenal being there. And uh, uh, I got to uh, shake hands with Otis Redding. And uh, and I was on the side of the stage when Janice uh, did Ball and Chain. And I had dinner with Jimi Hendrix uh, backstage at the hot dog stand. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, like uh, uh, my when my book came out and my publisher put out a lot of promotional stuff you know saying that Steve Katz jammed with such and such and such and such and I jammed with Jimi Hendrix I never jammed with Jimi Hendrix I shared a bag of potato chips with Jimi <laughs> Hendrix, which I think is a lot a lot hipper than everybody yeah. with oh Jimi totally Hendrix. yeah but yeah. how many people have shared a bag of potato chips yeah. <laughs> that was Monterey. yeah so you knew you knew him from before you know well yeah and in, in fact uh, well, I knew him afterwards also because sure, he, came, yeah. he came up to me in the at the scene, Steve Paul's the scene one night, and asked if it would be okay if he used our horn section on his next album, which he never got to. He died before that. I said, yeah, that would be great. He did say something about uh, the horn section in an interview, I remember. Oh, really? Right. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the future of music, I think, is what he said about Blood, Sweat, and Tears. You're kidding. Yeah, yeah. That's on one of his last interviews. I have. I know, I know. Jeff Beck gave an interview years ago, and he's and they asked what his favorite guitar players were, and I, I was in that list. And wow! I looked, I said, wow! Is this, this guy nuts? <laughs> anyway, tell us where I get this in about the issue you had with David Crosby and the the situation with he and George Martin and you. Oh, that was. Uh, we had just finished uh, recording. Um, well, not recording. We're still doing it. American Flyer. And uh, that was with Craig Fuller from Bureau Prairie League and Doug Ewell Doug. from Velvet Underground and uh, Eric Haz. And uh, uh, Craig had his uh, his girlfriend's dog there. 
or it was Craig's dog, whatever. And uh, I was talking to George and the dog was hanging out with us. A cute little terrier, right? Yeah. Crosby, Crosby comes out from another studio and looks down the hall and, and, at us and he says, get that dog out of here. And, you know, I mean, you know <laughs> without even saying hello or you know, he actually said, get that F dog out of here. Yeah. And, you know, he's talking. I'm thinking to myself, this guy's talking to George Martin right. like this without any respect, you know, and he, all he is is like a, a third class background singer as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. He hasn't written a good song. And uh, I jammed with him once, you know, and jamming with uh, David Crosby was, meant that you play whatever David Crosby wants to play, you know, and you play along. You know, uh, he's he's uh, well over the years, you know, it's it's uh, it's proven itself that the guy's a jerk. <laughs> yeah, we hear that a lot on this show. <laughs> There's only, I mean, I really loved everybody, you know. That I mean, I, you know, even Jim Morrison, Janice, of course, was wonderful. Uh, Hendrix was fantastic, you know. There's not very many people that I that I really disliked, but I I I'd say he and Don McLean take the. Uh... I've heard a lot of terrible things about Don McLean. You know, <laughs> they get the Razzies from me. The <laughs> Wait, do we get to hear that story, Steve? <laughs> With, about With no. McLean, no. <laughs> Um, you know, I wanted to ask you about American Flyer, too, because, uh, you know, you played with Doug Ewell. Now, did you meet Doug because Doug was at the time playing with Lou? Really? No, it was afterwards. In fact, uh, I was producing uh, Lou's album, Sally Can't Dance. Yep. And um, uh, Lou did a song called Billy, I believe was the name of yes. it. Yes. And he suggested Doug play bass on it. So that's where we first met. Interesting. Yeah, because obviously they had played in the last couple of years, the Velvet Underground together. Did you know? I mean, you must have known about the Velvets when you were in the city. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. I you, even say in my book that we we all used to hang out at Max's Kansas City late at night and in the back room. And those guys were in on one side and we were on the other because they were so scary. I mean, they were like, you know, East Village heroin, you know. And speed people, we were just pot smoking West Village people, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Max's was the great equalizer. It was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> poor, the poor waitress that had to walk in between, you know. Yeah, they were genuinely scary people, you know, like oh, they yeah. just were. Mm. Uh, that's why I always say, like, um, I was uh, hanging out once with uh, Mo Tucker, the drummer for the Velvet Underground. And yeah. she was going to go to the city the next day. And she, she said, you don't want to meet Lewis? And I was like, no, mm -hmm. no, I'm good. <laughs> I, good love you, Smart move. I, I love Lou. I love Lou so much. I would not want to not love Lou. So. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, I worked for three years with Lou, but I wouldn't put him on my, my Razzie's list. I, I love Lou and we got along really great. You know, I mean, I saw what he did to people, um, uh, you know, but but uh, he and I got along really well. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that working relationship because he definitely trusted you, you know, when it came to producing those albums. I love those albums. I think they're phenomenal. Yeah, uh, I mean, Lou, Lou is, uh, I mean, it, when Lou is taking speed, uh, which is all the time that I knew him, Yeah, he, he was fine when he stopped and he would stop after a couple of weeks to clean out his system. Then he was awful. Then I knew that I had to take my answering machine on and uh, he was just coming down. And it was 
And I would think, oh, God, Lou, shoot some speed. <laughs> Do you need a new needle? I can get it for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, but I, I really do. I love those albums. I love what you brought to the table. So, oh, you. you know, much credit because, you know, if, you know, anybody who is listening to this, who's heard um, Lou's 1970s mm-hmm. uh, output, Lou is at any given time only as good as the producer he has with him mm-hmm. because, because well, he, he's, he he's have, very he, variable. He did, he did, he did produce uh, metal machine music. You know? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> He locked himself in his apartment. I couldn't even get in touch with him, you know, and he was he was running all these tape machines and making this really awful. It was a joke. Basically. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. I made my daughter listen to it oh, um, more God. than once. <laughs> oh, you horrible. I, I you know, I, I can't help it because, you know, if she wants like any amount, like I really should do this all the time, really. But any amount of money over a certain amount. You know, mm. now you got to listen to metal machine music first, <laughs> and then you got you got to tell me what you got out of that experience. And so, oh my God, you played it for her. Your poor I daughter said, is she is she in therapy now? Or? <laughs> <laughs> no, but she probably should be. As so I said to her the first time, "What did you get out of that?" And she said, "Absolutely nothing." <laughs> was, well, of course, that's I said, that's the correct yeah, answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lou, Lou would have been happy with that. Though. I think so. I said there's an hour and 15 minutes of your life that you will never get back <laughs> uh we'll have to use that part of that now in the uh during the interview just like a quick 30 second snip because you know once you heard 30 seconds of it that's all you're ever going to need to hear pretty much <laughs> <laughs> i think that's a little bit too much actually it might be <laughs> <laughs> You could imagine the listener responses to that one.
As long as you were talking about your producing career, <laughs> you were working with an Irish band, Horse Lips. Right. And you were introduced to another band that you decided to pass on and regretted it. Mm. Would you talk to us about that? <laughs> well, uh, I would be in the studio with uh, with Horse Lips. I think it was uh, especially uh, short stories, tall tales. And... Um, Michael Dini, who managed Horse Lips, um, his best friend was Paul uh, Guinness, and uh, and Paul was managing these kids. You know, they were like teenage, this teenage band, and I was still, you know, the uh, vice president of A and R at Mercury Records, and so Paul would give me tapes, and then the the kids, uh, they they loved Horse Lips. I mean, uh, Horse Lips were their uh, what do you call it? Uh, Idols. And uh, yeah, and uh, so they would come into the studio and yeah, they would hang out. Uh, and then uh, um, Paul said, uh, they're going to be playing at a place called McGonagall's. Uh, if you can go see them, that would be great. You know, and I went to see them and I said, Paul, they're just not right for us. You know, so I turned you two down. I was just <laughs> going to say it was you two. <laughs> <laughs> there are certain things in life that, uh, well, at least... My marriage is great. <laughs> so I, I've won on other, you know, things. Blues Project album is great. There's good, some good things that happened. But yes, I turned down you too. Man, can you imagine what that would have done for Mercury? But, you know, I was with uh, Muff, Muff Winwood was with me that night. We were sitting together. Oh, and, wow. uh, You know, Steve Winwood's brother. And he was doing A&R for Warner Brothers England. He, he did the same thing. They were pretty awful. Oh. In those days, you know. Well, they were punkier, like when they first, you know, it's kind of yeah. hard to explain, but they didn't really mm -hmm. have their sound, you know, like their early demos and stuff. Are, it's a very different band. So I get it. Yeah, I definitely get it. But could you imagine what that would have done for uh, for Mercury? But, you know, Mercury did have um, new oh, wave was, sort of people. They had I, try, people. I tried to sign people. It was very difficult to get anything done there. And uh mm -hmm. I mean, I I signed NRBQ for an album that's that's still, uh, I think, a, one of the best albums in rock and roll. That was NRBQ at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I was just going to say Richard's favorite albums and uh, nothing. We couldn't do anything with it. Oh, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant album. You know, the thing with NRBQ is that they were big in in this area of the country, and it was kind of hard to 
you know, get them, you know, to break out from that. But what a brilliant band, you know, oh, I mean, you had mm-hmm. a lot of good bands. I mean, you know, you had Peter Gabriel on Mercury for a while, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they, he had an album on there, which actually was a fairly successful album, his third album. Uh, Zappa worked out a deal with, was it, was it with Mercury? Yeah. Yeah, it and was, he was, was going to bizarre records or bizarro. Uh, yeah, yep. take your booty was the first one that he did. Yep, and uh, I brought in um, a deal with uh, Horse Lips, and also uh, that came with the DJM uh, license deal, and that came with uh, Johnny Guitar Watson. Oh, wow! And we had a hit with a real mother for you, which I love to this day. Yep. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was, it was mainly uh, you know I love Charlie Fash who ran the label. But uh, he basically took orders from the, uh, um, you know, from other people that did other, uh, you know, promotion and, uh, and all of that stuff, you know. So, and, you know, he was, uh, Charlie was more of a, of a country music guy. I mean, the, the, yeah. the company was in Chicago and I was in New York and uh, it was, oh, yeah. And, and what I was going to say was the two top bands while I was there. Were both um, licenses, Cool in the Gang, which yeah, licensed from Delight, and also um, Rush, which is licensed from uh, from Ray Daniels up in uh, Toronto. In Toronto, yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, and they they stayed on the label, didn't they? Rush, yeah, they they had. I mean, that licensing deal. And more than that, they owned the label. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Cool <in> the gang, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Aaron, do you have uh, another question? Yes, for the actually, I, Mr. Katz? yes, I have another question. So as the podcast resident millennial, uh, I first became familiar, <laughs> first became familiar with the blues project through the Beastie Boys when they sampled flute thing yeah. uh, on one of their songs. Uh, I know Al Cooper wrote it for Andy Kohlberg, but I was wondering if you saw any royalties from that. Yes, we did. Believe it or not, what was it called flute something or other? Flute loop. Flute, loop. yeah, something like that. And yes, we did let's see. Uh, I think I probably got a dollar twenty or something, but <laughs> it was enough to get you know a cup of tea. So. <laughs> no, we did. We did get royalties. I heard. I knew the song first, and then I guess some years later, I watched Monterey Pop, and I saw the clip of, or it might have been an outtake. I don't know if you were in the. And the blues project was in the final movie, but um, I saw um, a clip from Monterey Pop and Paul Simon was introducing the blues project. And that's right. when I discovered the song in its original form. Yeah. Yeah. I was playing bass on, which I did on the, uh, on the original flu thing. I was, yeah, we were there. Uh, the story was that uh, Penny Baker, DA Penny Baker, the filmmaker couldn't get the blues project to sign off on including their performance in the film, but he, he fought to put it there, but the, that was the story. I don't know how true that is. Well, we weren't treated very well at Monterey when Cooper yeah. left the band just before, and uh, they tried to uh, rescind our invitation. And really? we said, no, you know, you know, mm-hmm. Al, Al left the band, but we're still the band, you know, and uh, then Al wound up working, uh, uh, doing stage work for them. Mm-hmm. And then Al did a, a set where he did half of our songs. Yes, he did. <laughs> so we had John John McDuffie was our uh, keyboard player. And um, uh, I, we, we weren't in the film. We we're on the outtakes, in the outtakes. So if you see the Criterion 
version of Monterey Pop. It's really pretty fantastic. And uh, the outtakes are, uh, we're not the only ones, Moby Grape. And uh, of course, they were pretty terrible at Monterey. It's one of my favorite bands of all time. And Yeah, they were good. I, you know, there's not a lot of footage of, of like vintage footage of Moby Grape. No, so, but, hey, Grandma. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. They were, <laughs> they were great. Yeah. Oh, sure. But, you know, like, you don't think their performance there was? Oh, no, performance was, was, was awful. Yeah. But, you know, also there was a thing about, there was a, a not a competition, but the the uh, West Coast people uh, like John Phillips and uh, Lou Adler, yep. they didn't like, you know, those people didn't like New York people. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yep. So the only New York musicians at Monterey were us and uh, Laura Nero, and uh, Simon and Garfunkel, but they didn't invite the Rascals or mm-hmm. Love and Spoonful. According. And they wanted to res- rescind Arvik. Our, you know, and it's been like that. You know, then Jan, Jan Winter took up the reins of nobody from New York. Is uh, I mean, <laughs> Laura yeah. Nero was Laura Nero was treated terribly. I mean, oh she, yes, and she yeah. did a great set, but she had the flu. You know, and maybe she wasn't top, but she she did a great set, but she got killed for doing it, and. Um, and this was like a, a a thing that happened between the West Coast and the and New York that uh, was not very much fun. Somebody should do a book about that, actually. Oh, there's an idea for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, you know, that, but Jan Winter have... is is that the Jan Winter is at the center of all of that. And if you find out anything about, like I have, about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, for instance, and mm-hmm. uh, how how he is the evil. Uh, yeah. he, he, has an evil hand over the whole thing, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, the choices are ridiculous. Not that we should be in it, but there are people that should have been in it, you know, and uh, and that, that still aren't, you know, it's crazy. And, if you, you know, look at how influential the blues project was to me, it's no brainer. I will never be in it. Uh, you know, the New York bands, it's, you know, it, it, it never actually, and we were very popular in San Francisco, mm-hmm. which was our second major town, but I don't know what it was. We were a New York band. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, bands like then, you know, I mean, to me, the, the criteria should be a lot looser because, you know, if you, you know, take a band like, I don't know, just pull one out of the air and say the vanilla fudge, you know, I mean, you know, a direct progenitor of the kind of thing that, that Led Zeppelin wound up doing, you know, and same kind of, same kind of deal. So it's, it's like, why not? But then you're right. I mean, you know, the more I found out, find out about Jan Wenner, the less likable yeah. he seems. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, he did a lot to help the Grateful Dead rise to prominence, which is yeah. not all bad, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I once went up to, uh, when, when we had test pressings of the second Blood, Sweat, and Tears album, yep. uh, I went up to Clive Davis's office and I played, uh, and he was meeting with uh, Jan Wenner. And so the two of them, I played a couple of tracks from the album and I said, thanks, Steve, and goodbye. And wow. I just I went home thinking, oh, my God, you know, this is this is really depressing. You know, and six million copies later. And a couple of Grammys. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Go any, f- not yet. Before we get started, we want to officially welcome you to the first of the third, the first of the, 
annual third, the third part of the first annual International Monterey Popst Festival. Like to mention, thank you. I'd like to also mention that, not yet. I'd like to mention also my brother couldn't be here tonight because of various reasons. And I, working with someone else, like uh, you work with your brother, it's, my brother's a straight man, it's kind of difficult. I kind of find it difficult talking and being with you people because no one's straight here either. So. Uh, to get things started, let's give a big hand to one of the real big talents, and a fine writer and poet, and everything. One of the little people who makes big music, Mr. Paul Simon. Let's bring him on. person to introduce another person. Um, so I would uh, like to introduce to you some friends of mine and very talented musicians from New York, the Blues Project.
And I have two quick questions for you, Steve. Aaron had mentioned the jug band. I think this is <laughs> first question is you did an impersonation of Jimmy Durante in oh, a God. song with, with the jug band. And the second one is you almost punched out Bob Dylan at one gig, correct? Yeah. Um, he, you know, this is when uh, he wanted Cooper back in his band and it was the Cafe of Gogo. And uh, there was like hardly anybody in the audience except that Dylan was there with uh, David Blue and I think Bob Newworth. And he was just heckling us, you know. And we went across the street after the set to the uh, to an angel and he was behind me, you know, and I slammed the door in his face. I was so pissed off. <laughs> it wasn't, well, I, I did, I wouldn't try to sound like Jimmy Durante. I just came out sounding like, I was doing a growl. And when you do a growl, when you're seven, ten, 17 years old, it just didn't work you know it's a come on in and on the jug it sounds okay you know but it's yeah. it's a duet with me and maria actually I, I just heard about that i had to ask about that <laughs> you know, don't listen to it you have better things to do with your <laughs> and we will insert it into the show right now yeah. okay <laughs> come on in ain't nobody above me Come on in, ain't nobody above me. Oh, sit right down, let's have some fun. My wife gone out on an old light run. Come on in, ain't nobody above me. Now come on in, ain't nobody above me. Oh, come on in, ain't nobody above me. Oh, take this, take some of that. Take anything in the doggone flat. Come on in, ain't nobody here above me. Now come on in, ain't nobody above me. Well, come on in, ain't nobody above me. I'll fry some meat 
cooks some bread And you get sleepy, that's a great big bed Come on in, ain't nobody here but me Drink this wine, let's get drunk, have one big time Come on in, ain't nobody above me Now come on in, ain't nobody above me Well come on in, ain't nobody above me Take off your shirt, lay it on the chair Take off your socks, give your feet some air Come on in, ain't nobody above me Backing up to Monterey Pop, you mentioned that the Rascals weren't invited, but I read Gene Cornish's book last late last year, and he said that they had been invited, but mm. their management actually turned it down because Monterey Pop, they didn't, nobody got paid or something, or they weren't going to be paid. So they ended up doing some girl i guess some relative of henry ford's birthday party in michigan or something like that and no i don't see how that could be right because we had the same manager it was sid bernstein he was managing us and the rascals so, and we went Whoa. and did it, so i mean i could see where uh, people turn woodstock down because of the mm-hmm. they're getting filmed um i'll have to look at gene's book read gene's book and uh a lot of dirt and a lot of interesting stories and a lot of uh, interesting about the in-band squabbles that the Rascals had, you yeah. know, in the 80s oh, and 90s. I'll definitely, and definitely have to read that. Then. Yeah. Tommy James, who's a friend, sent me his book and it's just fantastic. I mean, it's, it's I so sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tom, Tommy James's book is one of the best biographies I've ever read. Not yeah, that Blood, right. Sweat, and My Rock and Roll Years wasn't good. Because <laughs> right. it was. You don't have to. <laughs> no, no, we want to say it because you know. <laughs> Thanks. We gotta make it. We gotta make you uh, richer than you are, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny, Allison. Did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> no, that I haven't read the Tommy James book. I'll have to. Oh, I'll have to read you, it, Scott. You need to read that. Yeah, I think. And, I, think and so. I have uh, both Felix and Gene have come out with books in the last couple years. Yep. And I have them both sitting here. Awesome. Oh, great. Yeah. Felix, they're, they're both great guys. Here's my pile of books. Hey. Wow. And they're out of focus. How do you read those? <laughs> Glasses. <laughs> the, the, the experience you had at, at Woodstock, can, can we describe it as, as miserable? 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Miserable is a, <laughs> it's a good word for it. Because when we talk, we talk to, you know, Fred, we talk to other, you know, like a lot of other people who played there and almost always the experience of having played there was something less than the most amazing experience of their lives. You know, there's always something, you know, that um, we were talking to uh, Henry Gross from who played with Sha Na Na. Mm-hmm. And of course, later had a big hit with Shannon in the seventies, and Henry's one of his best friends. Yeah, Henry. Yeah, we talk uh, every couple of weeks. Oh, Henry was great. Well, let me put it this way: I have to listen to his jokes every couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's great. funny about that? We know all about that because he and Donnie York were on here, and mm-hmm. Henry just took over. Yeah, it was three yeah. three and a quarter hours. But they're all funny. Yeah. Oh, they're all funny. They're yeah. all hysterical. I uh, the first thing I said to my wife when I got out of uh, finished with the thing is I said, "Yeah, that's how the music business works. They throw your money up at the ceiling, and whatever st- whatever sticks to it, that's what you get." And that's a Henry joke. <laughs> yeah. oh, he's great. No, he's he's just the best. And he was telling us the story of how he got, you know messed up with Hendrix, you know, because Hendrix gave him a bottle of uh, Jack Daniels. And then he went into the helicopter and, you know, flew around <laughs> the crowd. <laughs> we never had, you know, everybody, you know, not everybody, whenever anybody uh, interviews David Clayton Thomas, mm. David always talks about the Woodstock experience and how, you know, we, we went to the holiday and then we took the helicopter to the I've never been in a helicopter in my life. And I, I don't think David Still? has. We, no, we didn't take the helicopter. Oh, did you, you, you must add a, a car then, right? Some yeah. kind of, they provided. Oh, yeah, no, we had a, no, I wouldn't have walked. I, no. <laughs> it was too muddy out for that. Yeah. <laughs> no, they had a, they, we had, we had a car to take us. So get everybody crammed into a car. Cause if you think about it at that moment in time, blood, sweat and tears is probably the biggest group in the States. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were the be. highest paid until uh, Jimmy was uh, yeah. worked, and we were then we were the second highest paid. Uh, Santana, yeah. we got seven hundred and fifty dollars. It's it's amazing, isn't? It? But you know, you got to start somewhere. But then again, look at how reverent Carlos is to this day to the whole Woodstock thing because it did mm. make them stars. You know, I mean. Um, do you think it was, a, and, and I think I know what you're going to say, but do you think it was a mistake um, for Blood, Sweat, and Tears not to give their consent to being in the original movie, Woodstock movie? Because they did edit a bunch of songs, as you know, yeah. and they were going to put them in the in the movie. Yeah, all of, all of Albert Grossman's acts, uh, he took everybody out of the movie also. So that was all Grossman? Yeah, all of it. Paul Butterfield isn't in there. and uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Janice isn't in there. Uh, I think the did the band play there also? Yes, the band yeah. played and was wasn't in the movie either. Yeah, all of uh, Albert's acts. He took. He just stopped the cameras, or he said you can't film them. Um, do I do I feel bad about not being in the movie? Sure. Uh, another. Well, do I feel bad about uh, uh, not signing you too? It's the same. <laughs> <laughs> No, I have no, I have no regrets about anything in my career or in my life, actually, except that I smoked a little bit too much when I was a kid. 
<laughs> is that such a bad thing, really? I don't know. Now it is. Yeah. <laughs> now it is. Sure. Yeah. It creeps up on you, you know. It is. Yeah, I know. You know, I can't remember. I used to have a photographic memory, folks. Not no more. But anyway. Yeah. Does it work? <laughs> I heard not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. And, and Scott, you still have a photographic memory. Just nothing ever develops. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. for real. <laughs> it's it's like, funny. Well, like I told, yeah, <laughs> I told my daughter. I think I told Henry this, too, when we talked to him. I said, you know, I have a really good mind for music trivia. But unfortunately, in order to have that mind, I had to throw away my memory of her entire childhood. And I said to her, <laughs> you know, but the important thing is that you remember it. And that's the gift that's going to keep on giving. <laughs> but me, I have to remember the order that, you know, the catalog numbers for obscure Beatles albums. Oh, my God. I really <laughs> hope that she's in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I fully okay, expect so. her to write a book one day. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Or start uh, a podcast. Or start a pod, yeah. My idiot father, Haley Parker. So <laughs> 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 well, you know, she's gonna, you know, she's been listening to the blues project the last couple of days. So, you know. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, yeah. That's frightening. She likes it. Well, she's you know, she's kind of an old soul, so she so she likes stuff like that, you know, but she knows that well, get her the new album when it, you know, it's uh it's oh, I'm getting a new album. It's more listenable, actually. Do you, you think so? Yeah. The old stuff. Terrific album. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I keep listening and I keep liking other things, you know. <laughs> no, I do. I mean, it's really a pretty good album. I'm I'm totally psyched to hear it. I'm really glad you guys are out there doing this. I was so happy. You know, when, well, I was so happy when you got Morrison, but, you know, that was, <laughs> I, said, yeah, I knew he was going to wind up doing this. And so. also the, the the great thing is Scott Petito. I mean, Scott's just been incredible. He's recorded this at his studio. Um, he's just been a rock through this whole thing, you know, very steady. He's done, he's mixed it, you know, and uh, his bass playing is fantastic. He's just been working his, his little head off, you know. Yeah, so we can we can expect many more years of this, I hope, because you know. <laughs> I'll ask my doctor about that. <laughs> it's not easy, like going up a flight of stairs with an amp, you know, in one hand and a guitar in the other anymore. Well, that's what you get. They, that's what you hire these kids for. That's what I got married for. I have my wife do it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh no, Is you she didn't there? hear that. <laughs> anyway. It 
one one other quick question. During the Blues Project, you briefly dated Mimi Farina, and you stayed at her sister Joan Baez's house, and you got a phone call from Dr. Martin Luther King. What was, yeah, it, was it like it to was, speak to him? It was Mimi's house. Oh, okay. On Telegraph Hill, and uh, it was uh, we had an incredible conversation, uh, me and uh, Dr. King. Uh, let me tell you about it. Um, uh, Joan and Mimi went out for to get like dinner, uh, and I was sitting there playing guitar, and the phone rings. This is just before the uh, I think it was the Grenada Mississippi march that Joan went on, and uh, the phone rings. I answer it, hello, and personally, says, is Joan there? And I said. No, can I take a message? Yes, this is uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. King. Can you tell her I called? I said, I certainly will. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even share a bag of potato chips with him. <laughs> Did yeah, you but know still, that? yeah, I still... I mean, oh, talking that, to Martin, Martin Luther King, come on, you know. Even of if, course. You know. <laughs> but you know that was Dr. the Dr. King at that point? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he didn't even try and sell him a car warranty. Did I try to sell him? No. 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 <laughs> no I asked him how to play a G7 uh, augmented yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned your wife. Uh, for those listening, his wife is an excellent ceramic artist i have i bought quite a few things in fact my mother seems to like your wife's gifts more than the ones i give her that's okay <laughs> but uh you tell us how people can buy your wife's work steve it's uh allison palmer studio.com and uh that will take you you can go from there to our shopify page and from there you can buy stuff on the Shopify page or just go to Shopify and put in Allison Palmer, but it's yeah. uh, Allison Palmer studio.com. Yeah, I like now. I've been to the studio and yeah. it's wonderful. You Our were work in Bantam, Johnny. That's where we first met. I know. In Bantam, Connecticut. You know, we, we moved now. We built a yeah. studio on our own, on our grounds. So, Oh, 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 it's not. A different oh, okay. Studio, yeah. Oh, okay. I think that was in, yeah, it was in Oh four. Yeah. Oh, okay. But anyway, your wife does amazing work. My Thank mother attests to that, believe me. Thank you. Jag, weren't we going to go up to uh, to Steve's one time? We, we, we were talking about it, and it never happened. Mm -hmm. Well, you we, have an we, open we invitation. You have yeah. an open Thank invitation. You. Thank you, Steve. Oh, I'd take you up on it, because I think you're, what, no more than 45 minutes away, probably. Oh, Waterbury is, like, yeah, next door, practically. Yeah, like mm -hmm. half hour, practically speaking. Yeah, just route, up route eight. Yep. Yeah, literally. So, yeah, uh, most, I mean, I'll be seeing you in Woodstock, but, you know, definitely I'll take you up on it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and thank you again for your time, Steve. We really appreciate yeah, it. Thank you, Jack. This hey. great. And good to see you again. Um, well, before uh, I before we sign off, I just have one more thing to say here. Um, so the Blues Project played Bearsville Theater last November. You, I think you played projections in its entire duration. And I had wanted to go see it. And I even went so far as to see if I could arrange a pending uh, trip that I had to Woodstock so that I could, you know, go and see the show. But the Airbnb that I was staying in was not available for that particular night. So anyway, uh, your concert was November 6th of last year, and my grandmother actually passed away the next morning. So, oh 
it was kind of like, you know, maybe as much as I would have liked to have seen you and I sincerely hope to see uh, you guys perform at some point. Obviously, I was meant to uh, yeah. be with them that day. But what's amazing is I am here with you today on what would have been my grandmother's 104th birthday. So, wow. Wow. Well, you know, Johnny, you can could... Scott, Aaron, Jack. Thank you, guys. Yes, Steve. sir. Thank Steve, thank, you. thank you. you for everything. And I'll see you soon. Great. See you next week. Okay, you got it. I must have loved before Got mad and closed the door but just a child, just once more I chose you for the one Now we're having so much fun You treated me so kind I'm about to lose my mind You made me so very happy And I'm so glad you You came and you took control You touched my very soul You always showed me that Loving you is where it's at You made me so Very happy I'm so glad you Came into my life yeah. Thank you, baby So much to see You're even in my dreams I hear Baby, I can hear you calling to me I'm so in love with you All I ever want to do is Thank you, baby Thank you,
my mind I want to thank you, girl Every day of my life I just want to thank you You made me so very happy Yes, you did You made me so very happy every day I want to spend my And that's our show. Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast was produced and edited by Scott Parker. Your hosts were Jack Lekensky, Johnny Hudson, Aaron Shear, Jim Shelley, and Scott Parker. Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast is not associated in any way with Woodstock Ventures or any of its entities. Come and check us out on our Facebook page. The group is called Keep the Dream Flowing where we keep you updated on various things that we're doing and give you a heads up when there's a new episode coming. So check that out. On behalf of all of us here at Keep the Dream Flowing, this is Scott Parker saying thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.